You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. All right, let's get our Bibles out this morning and turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, as we continue in our series, Real Talk. Um, You know, um, if you get our greetings every week, if you got them on your iPhone this week, it would have come out like it was supposed to. If you got it on your computer, the title would have come out like it was supposed to. But if you got it on an iPad, as my wife did, it came out looking like this. which I found the next email she had under that quite just as interesting. I have trust issues. And uh, so if you came to church thinking we were having a weight loss intervention today, um, you're going to be disappointed. But uh, if you're looking for what the next verses are in Matthew chapter 5, we'll be taking a look at a message entitled, You Look Like Your Father. Uh, That's the goal of every one of us, that the image of God would be um, implanted in us, that we would do everything in our lives to look like our Father, and that's desire. Although that whole fat principle is not all bad, uh, faithful, available, teachable. Now, those are the characteristics we should all be going for anyway. So if you need a fat illustration, there it is for you. But we're really going to take a look at you look like your Father. Right in the middle of the text, it says, uh, so that you may be sons of your Father, who is in heaven, looking like our father. Sue and I were at a funeral a week or so ago for her uncle, Uncle Ken, and we were in Kitchener, and we uh, opened the doors to the funeral home to go in, and uh, this guy comes walking towards us, and I'm like, Uncle Ken is not dead. Um, His oldest son, whose name is Ken, is the spitting image of his father, and it was just one of those freaky moments like, who is this guy coming at us? And oh, he, he looked so much like his father, it made you, you do a double take. Well, that's what we're supposed to be going for in our own spiritual walk, that uh, the image of Christ or the image of God the Father would be uh, so on us that when people see us, we would be a reflection of him. And, uh, and that's the desire. That's what we want to take a look at. And um, it's found in Matthew chapter 5. So let's stand together. We want to honor God as we read his word. Uh, Starting at verse 43, here's what it says. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word that we hold in our hands. We thank you for this next section of this amazing teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. And and so today, Lord, as we learn about love and how Jesus stretches them way beyond what they were comfortable with, way beyond what they'd even been taught in their day, but teaching them what they should be and how they should live, God, would you give us ears to hear that teaching? Would you give us minds to understand that teaching? And then, God, would you give us hearts to respond, to live out as a result of what we hear from your word today? Do this work as only you can, and do it for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. Well, as you know by now, if you've been following in the series, Jesus had been out teaching, and, and then he goes up on the mountain, and he sits down, and he starts to teach his disciples. So those who showed up, those who were there, wasn't just the 12. They weren't all believers. Judas wasn't a believer for sure. There's this group of people who are there, and Jesus teaches them what is called the Sermon on the Mount. And he starts out with all of these Beatitudes. Blessed are those, blessed are those. And we went through all those. Those are kind of um, um, the character traits that we should be building in our lives, the things that we should be going for as, as we seek to look like a God our Father. Uh, and then he went on from there and he talked about uh, followers being salt and how we have savor and how that, how that um, influences the world and, and how we are to be light. And in a dark world, we are the light. We have the good news. Nobody else has the good news. They have news. They don't have the good news of Jesus Christ. And so we're called to be salt and light. And he talks about that. You are the salt. You are the light. And, and then he goes on. And if that wasn't enough for them, starting to kind of shake their foundations a little bit, he says, um, I, I actually came to fulfill the law. Uh, it's just the law wasn't, I've come to fulfill it. And there's, there's nowhere in scripture that it talks about anybody getting up and leaving at that point. But um, uh, probably for sure, they're like, oh, who do you think you are? But they're so overwhelmed by his teaching, they sit and they listen to it. And, and from there, Jesus goes into just a, a number of different areas that he, one after another, you have heard it said. And he talked first about uh, murder, you shall not murder. And, uh, but I'm telling you, anger, you can't even have that kind of anger. He, he went and he talked about um, adultery and lust. He talked about marriage. And, and then he talked about oaths and, and uh, how we need to speak the truth. And then uh, last week, as Daniel so well handled the word, he, he talked about the reality that um, about retaliation and vengeance. And, and now Jesus moves to the next part of the teaching when he teaches them about love. He teaches them about love. And he starts out in the same way. This is the, the regulation. This is the law and the tradition because this one is different than the other ones. The other times he said, you've heard it said, you've heard it said. And, and then he said, like, you, you kind of got that right, but you missed a part. You lowered the bar. You missed a part. But this one is different. You know, I was thinking this week about the, the top five things that people think it says in the Bible, but it doesn't actually say it in the Bible. And uh, here they are. Um, God will never give you more than you can handle. I hear people say that all the time. You know in the Bible where it says, God will never give you more than you can handle. The Bible doesn't say that. As a matter of fact, the Bible pretty much promises you're going to get more than you can handle. Um, what the Bible teaches us is there's nothing that God's going to give you that with his help you can't handle. But it's a misapplication. It's a twisting of the scriptures. And so I would hope lots of times in our lives there are things that you can't handle. You have to cry out to the Lord. Otherwise, what do we need the Lord for? And so the person who quotes that Bible verse, um, God will never give you more than you can handle, is not quoting from the Bible. Some people think that the word, this too shall pass, comes from the Bible. It doesn't come from the Bible at all. As a matter of fact, some things never pass. You may go to heaven and it's not solved. How about this one? Love the sinner and hate the... Yeah, love the sinner and hate the sin. Now, is there a Bible principle that we're supposed to love sinners? We're going to see it today. Is there Bible principles that we're supposed to hate sin? Of course there is. But usually how that gets taken is love the sinner, but still kind of hate them because of their sin. Um, and the Bible just doesn't say that. It's not a verse in the Bible. Um, so love the sinner and hate the sin. I prefer to look at it as I examine my own heart. 
Love the sinner and hate your own sin. Hate your own sin. It's too easy to be judging and looking at everybody around us when we got this great big beam in our own eye and love the sinner and hate the sin. Not a Bible verse. A fool and his money are soon parted. True, but it's not a Bible verse. Um, here's one more. God helps those who help themselves. You know that Bible verse where it says God helps those who help themselves? Well, it's not a Bible verse. The Bible doesn't say that. As a matter of fact, God doesn't help those who help themselves. God helps those who turn to him. And uh, so, okay, pastor, that was nice. You just took two minutes out of your message time to tell us that. Why? Well, here's why. Because that's what was going on in this verse. The first part of the verse, in verse uh, 43, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor. It was right in the Bible. Uh, that comes right out of Leviticus chapter 19, 18. You shall love your neighbor. But the second part, and hate your enemy, it's not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. And so what had happened in this case, different than the other ones, were the, the Pharisees had taken something that was true, and then they added something that they thought made sense, but it doesn't make sense at all. And in doing so, once again, they lowered the bar so that basically anybody could jump over it, because who can't love their neighbor? Who can't love the lovable? Who can't love the friend? And so Jesus is about to take that and give them another challenge. And if the things he had taught them already weren't enough, now he comes to this one. And we move on to the requirement of Jesus. We see it in verse 44. But I say to you, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You know, we live in a very interesting political time when uh, in our nation, but in the States, we're seeing it blatant all over the place. There's this challenge between immigration and safety. And I have no one plan to solve that or tell you really where I stand on all of that. Uh, but it's a real challenge. And it's like, where's the love in this? Where's the love in this? And finding the balance of that with where's the safety for the nation. And don't expect governments to act like churches. Governments aren't churches. And they have a job to do in all of that. I, I'm not about the political piece of this. What I want us to see is we get ourselves all wrapped up in it and all wound up in it. And or maybe it's the um, shooting that happened in Quebec this week. What a terrible, terrible thing. And, uh, and we look at it and we feel awful about it. Um, someone who, it appears, uh, couldn't love what he thought were his enemies and took justice into his own hands and did what he chose to do. And, and all of this is going on in our world and there's oftentimes a lot of godless emotion that's being spouted, blatant lies on both sides of arguments, trying to win an argument, uh, trying to gain the moral high ground, sacrificing truth on the altar of an agenda. Um, and we find ourselves struggling with what we think. And that's all out there. And we need to be engaged in those things and thinking about those things. But I think sometimes we do all those things because it then takes our eyes off the ball that we have right at home right on your street, the person at the next desk to you. And so when Jesus says, but I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. So what about your next door neighbor who ridicules your faith? What about the person who 
in the job has tried to use your faith as a way for them to see you demoted in work and see them promoted in work? Uh, what about the family member? And maybe you're the only family member in your whole family that loves the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and they just, they've got things to say. They're always poking at you. They're always sticking at you. And see, I think so often it's easy for us to get out there in the news world where we don't actually have to do anything when Jesus is driving this thing right back down to who is your neighbor? Who is your neighbor? And so that guy that you're mad at, and so if you share a driveway, like I share a driveway with our neighbor, you shovel like right down the line, but you're not taking one more ounce of snow than you have to. Or if it was a heavy snow, you wouldn't take your snowblower down and blow out the end of his driveway. You might do five other people's, but no, you don't understand what he did to me. You don't understand that. You don't understand that person I have to work with every week they despise my faith. They despise my Lord. They hate what I stand for. Jesus says, but I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. There's a parallel passage to the uh, Sermon on the Mount. Um, it may be taught at a different time, but where Jesus is teaching the same principles. He goes a little more into this in Luke 6, 27 to 31. It says there, but I say to you who hear, so are you listening, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you, to the one who strikes you on your cheek, we learned about this last week, offer the other also, and the one who takes your cloak, do not withheld from him your tunic, give to everyone who begs from you, and from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back, and as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them." And so Jesus lays out some requirements for them. But I say to you, love your enemies. Well, in loving your enemies, what do we need to be doing? Well, the first one is that word. We need to love our enemies, not hate them, but rather show them active goodwill. And you're like, you don't understand the pain. You don't understand the hurt. Uh, Sue and I were talking with someone who was wrestling with this very thing, and we're called to love them. The feelings might not be there. It's not about feelings. This is not a gushy, I'm going on my first date kind of thing. Right? This is love your enemies. This is doing the right thing for the right reasons. And Jesus calls us to love them. The next thing it says in those verses, says, bless those who curse you. What? Even though they may speak evil of you, you respond kindly and speak kindly of them. That's how we would show them that we love them. And then it goes on. It's not just a, a sense of loving them and blessing them. Now, now we're supposed to do good to them. Really? I don't, not just say some nice things? I'm actually supposed to like shovel that creep's driveway? I'm actually supposed to help that coworker who seems to have it in for me? Yeah, you are. Do good to those who hate us. They may either ignore us or do evil things to us but we're called to treat them kindly. And then there's this one. And pray for those who use us and persecute us. Pray. Pray for those who use us and persecute us. Don't seek revenge as we learned last week. Don't resist an evil person. Instead, react by manifesting aggressive love toward them. You do what they would never imagine that you would do. But I say to you, love your enemies and 
Pray for those who persecute you. See, there's the two kinds of love. There's the kind of love that just naturally goes out to the person who you like. Their conduct is appropriate. They act the way you like them to act. And easy, easy. Anybody can do that. But then there's those whose, whose, whose love, their actions aren't appropriate. Their conduct isn't appropriate. It doesn't even honor the Lord. And we're called to, we're called to love them. I read this quote this week. It goes like this. We, we may not love the conduct of a person who curses or who injures our person or property, or who violates all the laws of God. But though we may hate his conduct, yet we may still wish well to the person. We may pity his madness and folly. We may speak kindly of him and to him. We may return good for evil. We may aid him in the time of trouble. We may seek to do him good here and to promote for his eternal welfare hereafter. This seems to be what is meant by loving our enemies. And this is a special law of Christianity and the highest possible test of piety and probably the most difficult of all duties to perform. You have heard it said, love your friends and hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Not with feelings of gush. That the, the, the feelings, if they're to come, can come later. But, but it's agape love. It's doing the right things for the right reason. It's making an investment, not expecting in return. That's what the Lord is asking of us. That's what God requires of us. And that's what Jesus Christ demonstrated for us. See, what Jesus is talking about now, he's going to demonstrate in not too many years, a couple of years down the road, Jesus Christ is going to be hanging on a cross. The iron nails have gone through his hands, his wrists. He's, he's hanging there in agony. And he prays, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It's the picture of what he's teaching back in, uh, the, um, in this sermon. When he gets to the cross, he does exactly the thing. Because who's he on the cross for? Well, he was there because of the Romans. He was there because of the Jews. No, no. He was there because of you. He was there because of us. And all of us, enemies of God. None of us wanting what he offered. None of us, we're all standing against him. And Jesus Christ, and in the sense of the tense that he speaks those words, it's an ongoing prayer. It's a, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them, for they know not what to do. As he hangs on a cross and dies for you, his enemy. His enemy. And you're like, yeah, but my neighbor doesn't say nice things to me. Love your enemies. Love your enemies like, like Christ loved you. Romans 5, 8 to 10 says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since there we have now been, therefore we've now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were, ready? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. How much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life? Man, suddenly my neighbor down the road thing doesn't seem like such a big deal. Suddenly that family member who's saying mean things about me 
doesn't seem like such a big deal. Suddenly my coworker, it doesn't seem like such a big deal. Jesus Christ absolutely modeled what he taught in this text when he came to the end of his life here on this earth. Jesus Christ came and he pays this huge price for something he didn't deserve to have to pay. Our sin separated us from God. But it's not even like we were like floundering. How do we get to God? How do we get to God? How do we get to God? And he goes, I'll take care of that for you. We were his enemies. And he did it for us. But that's an amazing truth. That's an amazing thing to take hold of. And if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ, and you're like, did that guy from the front just call me an enemy of God? Until we trust Christ, we're all enemies of God. And the Lord Jesus Christ came and he died on a cross to pay a price that you couldn't pay so you could be offered the gift of salvation that you didn't deserve. And all you can do to receive it is to receive it. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. As a matter of fact, until God starts the work in your heart, you don't even want it. And God reached down to his enemies, us, and he loved us. And you can receive the free gift he offers you. It comes by faith alone in Christ alone. That's where salvation comes from. And an enemy of God becomes a son of God, becomes a child of God through a free gift that I didn't earn and I didn't deserve. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for you, and the Bible says you will be saved. And then for us, and Jesus comes back to this uh, love thing again. He's talking to his disciples. This is a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another just as I have loved you. Why? Because the way people will be able to distinguish who the disciples of Jesus Christ are in that verse is by how they love one another. How they love one another. So the person in the church, again, it's easy to love the lovable. Some of you, quite frankly, aren't very lovable. I've heard that from others. And yet we're to love each other. That's what we're called to. Because that's what sets us apart. That's what makes us look different from the, from the rest of the world when we love one another. Well, look down to verse 45, and then you see the result that gets accomplished when, when we learn to do this kind of love. So that you might be sons of your, your father. So that you may be sons of your, your father. You will look like God, your character will be in line with God's character. In the verse, he goes on in verse 45, and, and uh, he, Jesus talks about a couple things about what we call common grace. It says, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. And so, so there are certain things that God does that everybody in the world benefits from. Your next heartbeat you have, that's a common grace. You get that from God. The sun comes up, the sun goes down. Not around here today, but it happens, and, and we're blessed by that. That's a common grace. The rains come or they don't come and we have drought or we have plenty. That's a common grace. We, we all come under that. But as, as Jesus is talking to them, he says, so I say 
they say that you may be sons of your father. We all have a common grace, but then he's calling us to what looks different for the followers of Jesus Christ. And he's calling us to what's next for us. And it's in this context of love that he does it. And he gives us two pictures, uh, two pictures. And both of them are pictures of sometimes when it's hard to love. But um, here's the first one in verse 46. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? If you love the people who love you, so what? It's what everybody does. What reward is there? And the word reward there is really the idea of blessing. What blessing is there if all you do is what everybody does? That's a playing off against the common grace we just talked about. It's that everybody gets that. So what reward is there if you just love the people who love you? And then, and then Jesus uses an illustration that would have made the hair on the back of their head stand up. Because as he talked about their enemies, and then he picks out one of the groups of people in the land that everybody loved to hate. He says to them in verse uh, 46, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same thing? Okay, so we probably don't get the sense of that that they would have got of it, but Judea was a province of the Roman Empire. And the Jews bore this yoke of, of, of heaviness on them and taxation had to be collected and given to the Romans. So when Jesus um, talked about who's, later on when he talked about whose image is on the, who's on the symbol, render to Caesar, that was a Caesar. Render to God, that was his God. That, was, that for them was a hurdle for them to even uh, find their way past. But here he's talking about these tax collectors. Tax collectors were not the, um, not the most honest people on the street they, first of all, they had a job to do that everybody hated. And secondly, they were always skimming off the top. They were charging more than they should. They were taking things that didn't belong to them. And, and so Jesus, they're really their enemies. And Jesus, as he masterfully plays this out for them, he says, you know, anybody can love people they love. Even the tax collectors can do that. As soon as they heard there were tax collectors, it's like, tax collectors, are you kidding? I'm not going to love them. Oh, wait a minute. Can you love the tax collector? Can you love the tax collector? And he goes on in a, a second picture in verse 47. He says, and if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? So it's kind of like um, a little bit of a kick in the head with the tax collectors. And now he's comparing them to Gentiles. Jews never wanted to be compared to Gentiles. They always, like, we're, we're a way better class than those guys are. And, and so once again, he says, even the, even the Gentiles, even the Gentiles do this thing of loving your brother, the person who comes alongside, you shake their hand, you give them a high five, you pump fists, whatever you do. Like, even the Gentiles will do that. But will you love your enemy? Will you love that Gentile? you only love those that love you, you're not doing any more than anybody else. If you only greet those who greet you, you're not doing any more than anybody else would do. 
If you're only friendly to those that you know, you're not doing any more than anyone else would do. By inference here, Jesus is calling us as followers of Christ to do more, to go above and beyond, to do what the world won't do and doesn't do so that we can demonstrate the love of Jesus Christ. So who are you consciously looking at right now in your mind? Who you can love, who you're not loving. Who is that person? What is that situation? What is that pressure point for you? And Jesus says, you really want to define, you really want to show that you're my disciple? You got to love that person. You gotta love that person. That's the way they're gonna know you're my disciple. That's the way you're gonna stand apart when you love like that. If all of this has not brought them to a place of realization that they'd missed the mark, then Jesus goes even further with them in verse 48. In verse 48, he says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Okay, so the reality is the only people who get to heaven who are ever going to go and be with the Father are perfect people. Okay, well, we're all out, right? No hope for us. Okay, well, the point Jesus was making is if you want to live under the law, if you want that to be the standard, then you have to do it perfectly. You can't mess up in any way. All of the things he had been teaching about, they need to do those Perfectly, you never hate, you never slander or speak evil of another person. You would never lust in your heart or mind. You would never make a false oath. You would never um, def- defend um, your personal rights and you would never take yourself up with those rights. You would always love your neighbor. You have to do it perfectly. That's how you attain the righteousness that God requires. And so if the pressure for them is like boiling, 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 it's about to blow right now because now they know they can't. It's it's not even possible for them. And the great thing for every follower of Jesus Christ, one day, Paul Whittingstall, one day, Jason Locke, one day, Amanda George is going to stand before God. Perfect. Why? Because we're perfect? If you only knew the three of us. No, not because we're perfect but because of what Christ has done for us. Because of our salvation in Jesus Christ, because of our sanctification in Jesus Christ. He made us just as if we never sinned. Did we sin? Yes, we did. But he took all of our sin on him and he put all of his righteousness on us. And so I stand before God because of who Jesus is and God looks at this wretched mess through the lens of who Jesus Christ is and what he's accomplished for us. So Jesus is telling him, if you want to live under the law, you're going to have to be perfect. So it doesn't mean that we can now, because we ask Jesus as our Savior, just go and do whatever we want, right? Romans 6 says, um, God forbid, God forbid that we would ever take advantage of God's grace and what he's done for us. God forbid. 
But the reality is, I stand before God because of Christ's righteousness. I wrote this down last night after I got home. The perfection that is required of the law is found in Christ. The perfection that's required of the law is only found in Christ. I have a responsibility as a follower of Christ to seek to grow up in Christ and to mature in Christ. And so that word perfect is an interesting word. It, it means perfect, but it means other things as well. It's more of a general word than that. It, it meant to be mature. It meant to be complete. It mean, meant to be fulfilling. And so there is a sense of that, that it was an ongoing process. And there's an ongoing process that happens for us all of the time. But in Romans 12, 2, it talks about how God's will is good and acceptable and perfect. God's will is everything you need to move forward. 1 Corinthians 2, 6, talking about this word perfect, it uses the word mature. It says, yet among the mature, perfect, we do impart wisdom. Although it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age, um, who are doomed to pass away. Ephesians 4.13, until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. And so we're growing up in Jesus Christ. We are becoming more like Christ. We are looking more like the Father every single day. One more verse, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect, mature, grown up, complete, lacking in nothing. Jesus is pressing on the disciples the need for perfect righteousness that they will begin to understand as he teaches them more and more. They cannot attain on their own, can only be attained through what Jesus Christ would accomplish for them on the cross. Romans chapter 3.21 says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifest." apart from the law. That's what Jesus was trying to teach them. I've come to fulfill the law. But now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, there, for there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. We've all fallen short. If we want to be right with God, we can only be right with God through the righteousness, the perfection of the work of Jesus Christ. And then based on what Jesus Christ has done for you, based on what Christ accomplished for you, hanging on the cross, crying out to God, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. He's demonstrating for them, for us at the cross, what he's teaching them here that we are to love and love the people who despise you. Love the people who use you. Love the people who are in your face. Love the people who, te who tease you. Love all of those people. Just be faithful to it. Why? Because of what Jesus Christ did for you. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Yes. That's so easy. But I say to you, love your enemy. Love the person who despises you. Love the person who, uh, who, who stabs you in the back. Love the person who ridicules you. Love them because Christ loved you. And that's the model that we are to be to a world that has absolutely no hope outside of Jesus Christ. Well, so what? 
So what? You know, that um, typo that showed up on Sue's iPad, you look like you're fat. Um, we need to be a little fatter. We need to demonstrate faithful, available, teachable. I, I've just kind of filled it out to make it father. And so we need to be faithful. We need to be faithful beginning with a faith that started in grace when we trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior. We need to be people who are filled with that faith, the faith that saved us. But we need to be faithful in the way we live out our lives as well. Every day seeking to walk in a way that honors Jesus Christ. And we need to be available. When God's word calls us to something, we need to be ready to respond to it. We need to be ready to do it. What God's word says to do, we need to be willing to do. We need to be teachable. Not, not pretending about teachability. Teachability is really demonstrated in the way we respond and we react to things. So I want to be available. I want to be, Lord, teach me. Teach me about this. I've got this guy down the road. Teach me how I can love him. Show me how I could demonstrate something to him. We need to be teachable. We need to be humble. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that in due time, at the right time, he can exalt you. And Jesus, Philippians 2, being in very form God, made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant and humbled himself. You want to look like God? You want to look like the Lord Jesus Christ? It comes out of humility. We need to be an example in, in Ephesians 4, verse 1, it talks about mimic God. Be followers of God. Jesus said, or Paul said, be followers of me even as I am of Christ. Uh, we have a responsibility to be examples. Examples to our children who are following us, who are watching us, but examples to our enemies who hate us. And as we learn about burning, uh, heaps of burning coal on them as they are overwhelmed with this lavish love that they're like, where does this come from? Why would they do that? We need to be an example. And then we need to be righteous. Righteous. Living righteous lives in a world that doesn't care, doesn't understand, doesn't even want it, but righteous lives that demonstrate the love of Jesus Christ. You've heard it said Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy. Because that's what righteous people do. That's what godly people do. That's what followers of Jesus Christ do when they see what Christ has done for them and seek to live out their lives accordingly for the fame of our Savior Jesus Christ. Why? Because there's no other example in the world for them for this. There's no other hope in the world for them except Jesus Christ. God helping us. Would we live the kind of love that Jesus lived for us and do it for his glory? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word today. Thank you for the power of your word today. Lord, it's not easy. I, I can imagine there's people sitting in the room right now who they've got somebody you've placed on their mind and they're, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm just not going to do it. Lord, would you move them from a heart that would take them to disobedience to a heart of, okay, Lord, show me how. Teach me how. I'll do what I can. But Lord, I don't feel like it, so you're going to have to help me to move and do the right thing for the right reasons. Father, may we never forget what the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished for us while we were his enemies. God, work in our hearts that we'd be people that demonstrate the love of Jesus Christ.
by how we love those who love us and by how we love those who don't, that Jesus Christ would be exalted, we pray in his name. Amen.